you are stuck in the grind and don't know how to get moving, if you have lost your dream or struggle to know how to make it happen, if you have been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life with tools, knowledge, and support that will allow you to create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from the work they do so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. This show features interviews with people who have already created success in their lives and businesses and stories about everyday people living extraordinary lives. It's time for you to add value. My guest today is Miranda Meyer. Miranda is the founder and owner of Real Functional Healing. She realized her passion for optimizing health early on, but after working various positions in the medical field, she realized there had to be a better approach. She was seeing a system of sick care, not health care. Miranda graduated from the Nutrition Therapy Institute in 2012 as a master nutrition therapist. She has since completed additional functional medicine certifications, including functional blood chemistry analysis, mastering the thyroid, and the art of science of gastrointestinal healing. She's a certified nutrition practitioner through Restorative Wellness Solutions, as well as a certified personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Miranda worked as a clinical nutritionist in doctor's offices for several years before deciding to open her own practice. She now operates virtually, working with clients from across the country. Her specialties include gut health, autoimmune conditions, thyroid imbalances, and hormones, as well as natural approaches to healing anxiety and depression. Miranda is passionate about educating and empowering others to take control of their health. She continues to explore ways to further her own well-being through yoga, hiking, skiing, and cooking. Miranda, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to, to learn your story, learn about your journey, and I'm just looking forward to a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Robert. Absolutely. Well, would you mind uh, just telling us about how you got into entrepreneurship? How how did you start doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been in the in the field of nutrition for about ten years, and it was really you know personal health challenges and things that had gotten me into the field. And I realized very quickly um, with working in the nutrition field that I didn't want to be weight loss centric. That I wanted to dive into like the more clinical aspects, learn how to interpret labs and blood work and just provide more of a, I think, holistic service. And um, I worked for a very high volume clinical practice here in Denver for a few years and just really experienced a high level of burnout with seeing that level of clients. And I really wanted to have more control over how much time I spent with clients and the level of service I was providing and just really avoid that practitioner burnout that's so common in the healthcare field. So I launched my business very part-time about three years ago and happy to report that I've been completely on my own for about the past year. It's been going really well, so I'm super grateful. And it's been nice, like I said, just to have that, that level of control over my schedule and the time that I spend with clients. Very nice. So tell us a little bit what it is exactly that you do. What are the services that you offer? Sure. So functional nutrition is basically a blend of, you know, nutrition and lifestyle modifications and functional medicine and functional medicine for, you know, those of the listeners that may not be familiar with that term, it's really about optimizing function versus treating disease. 
So along with doing like meal planning and nutrition modifications and supplements and lifestyle suggestions, I also bring in the lab and blood work piece. And when you're looking at things from a functional perspective, I look at things under a much more narrow lens. So instead of saying, if you fall between here and here, this really wide range, you're normal. We look at, okay, well, where do people feel and function the best? And that's usually not between here and here. It's between like here and here. So I look at, you know, their labs and their blood work just under a little bit more of, again, that functional scope. And I combine them with looking at their diet and lifestyle and stress levels and all of those different components. And that allows me, I think, to just dive a little bit deeper into the root cause so we can really address that instead of just band-aiding symptoms. Absolutely. I, yeah, just didn't. Just in studying the mind and, and studying um, how our how our mind functions, you know, mindset and and all of those things, um, it's it's very similar. You know, Wallace D. Waddle says you you don't get health by studying disease. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, absolutely agree. And and it's interesting to me how our how our system has has fallen into that. Right, mm-hmm. I've got a symptom, doctor fix my symptom, and the doctors, I think. The doctors wanted to create, you know, solutions, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, pharmaceuticals and some of these other things have just gotten in the way to where, oh, this is the quick fix, right? And so this is the solution, you know, take this drug or do this thing that takes care of the symptom, um, but we don't delve any deeper into into the cause, and so yeah, it's, uh, we we don't study health. And we we are now. I think there's there's a you know much larger movement, at least in our country, mm-hmm. of of people pursuing health versus you know studying disease. But um, our so-called healthcare system is certainly not geared towards health. It's just geared towards you know eliminating symptoms. Definitely, I totally agree. I often refer to it as a sick care model, not a healthcare model. Absolutely. Well, and and I think our 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 dietary systems, you know, very similar. We've been taught to eat emotionally. We've been taught to eat food that makes us feel good. Um, and, and never, even in all the attempts of our government and vice president or, you know, president's wives to present these healthy eating models, nobody's ever just said, you know, have you considered that food is fuel and, and that what you're putting in your body is supposed to provide energy for your daily function and thinking about food in a completely different way. Um, but we're still very much programmed to see the food, look at the, you know, look at the pictures and choose the food based on how's that food going to make me feel. Um, and yeah. so, you know, obviously long-term not helpful at all, <laughs> you know, with all the, you know, sh- obviously you understand the sugar addictions, the, the salt. Um, for me, it's definitely recently just a recognition of, of salt and sodium is in so much stuff that no wonder we, you know, have a blood pressure and diabetes problem in our country. It's like, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, and so, so learning how to navigate that, you know, can be really challenging. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there's just unfortunately so much misinformation in the nutrition space. And a lot of people don't realize that the majority of the information that's being disseminated or, you know, things that are marketed to people as healthy 
it really has nothing to do with public health. It has to do with sales. Like that's all controlled by the food industry, which is more interested in selling product than it is necessarily in creating a healthy consumer. So that's a lot of what I try to focus on with my clients is the education piece because, you know, education is empowerment and people don't know what they don't know. Right. And there's just so much noise and so much conflicting information in the nutrition space that it's really important, I think, for the consumer to be educated and to be able to be more discerning because that food may very well look healthy and it may very well say organic or all natural or all of these misleading claims, but really knowing how to decipher a food label and decipher an ingredients list and like look at added sugar. It's like a surprising number of people who come to me who've been sick for a long time don't know how to do these things. And I think that stuff is just so important. And of course, like I can help you with that in the beginning, but my ultimate goal for clients is to be equipped with that knowledge moving forward and to be able to determine for themselves, hey, is this food or not food? Right. Is this food? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It's essentially cardboard. Yeah. Well, and the fascinating thing for me is just, and, and this is a silly comparison, but I've watched you know, dog food when you find out that dog food is mostly, you know, fiber, cardboard, mm -hmm. you know, shaped in, and, but now they're all focused on real meat and, and all of these other ingredients in the dog food. And people are more concerned about what they're feeding their dog than, than they are about what they're putting in their own bodies. And so, yeah. so now the dogs are getting all the real food and the people are still eating all the fake <laughs> processed stuff. <laughs> so it's just fascinating. And, uh, but the marketing thing, it's, it's interesting that I just listened to Atomic Habits by James Clear and, uh, and he's, you know, he's got a whole section in there about cues and triggers. And, and he talks about that the food industry companies, these larger companies all have people that, that literally their job is to test the cues and the feeling like, you know, the crunchiness of the Oreo cookie compared to the, the, the creamy softness of the, of the inside and, and how those, how those attract you to, to, to wanting to eat them regardless of the flavor or the value or the, you know, so they have this whole entire, entire departments dedicated to, you know, the right amount of crisp, the right amount of salt, the right amount of, you know, flavor um, to convince you not to just eat one, but to eat, you know, more and more and more and just, you know, make them money. <laughs> Oh, definitely. And again, this is a conversation that I have with clients constantly is, you know, just the need to realize that there's a whole team of food scientists behind most of these things. And we've gotten quite good at figuring out how to light up all these pleasure centers in the brain. Like, how do we hit that dopamine response? Like, how do we hit those serotonin receptors? How do we create this endorphin pleasurable response when people eat our food? Because, you know, to your point, that prompts people not to eat the one Oreo or stick to that serving size. It prompts them to eat 10 Oreos or the whole package because like once you overdrive those pathways and light these things up, it becomes very difficult to stop because it down regulates the satiety signals, the stop signals. And people just don't, they don't get those signals anymore. That mechanism over time, it basically becomes broken. Those receptors become unresponsive. And so we don't get those signals to say, hey, like you're full, stop eating. And a lot of that comes back to that combination of like, different types of fat and different types of sugars and certain levels of sodium and things that are known to light up these pathways.
Now it's, I mean, it's fascinating to me that, that we have that much control over it and we're using it to sell cookies instead of using it to, to make the brain better and, and more useful for us moving, you know, I mean, we have that much power and, and, and that's what we're focused on is, you know, eat more cookies instead of, you know, be a better person or, you know, do, do good in the world and, and receive those same kind of dopamine, you know, rewards because that, that reward function, you know, can take place in service and, and, and other ways. And yeah. how sad is it that, that, that these multi-billion dollar industries get caught up in that? Oh, absolutely. You know, but like you said earlier, we're very, uh, we're very focused on the short term, the quick fix, whether that's healthcare or making a profit. And unfortunately, that's really what these things have become geared towards, right? Like we are very focused on the short term profit, what's going to make the most money, what's going to sell the most product versus okay, like, in 10, 20 years, how is this going to affect public health? Like, that's just not the focus of the food industry, at least not at this time. Well, but it's also the consumer's fault as well, right? Because the consumer is oh, saying, give me microwave food, give me microwave food, give me, yep. you know, I don't, I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to figure this out. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, you know, I think a you know, new thing is all these boxed meals, right? People are, are ordering, you know, meals in a box that's got everything portioned out and separated, you know, supposed to be healthier. I'm not going to judge, you know, whether or not <laughs> they are, um, but but it's interesting to see, you know, a whole basically generation of businesses rising up that are saying, you know, we're going to be different. Well, we're going to solve this problem in a different way. Um, and, and, and I'd like to hope that they're healthier ways. Yeah, there definitely are. And I, you know, I, I can feel a shift coming over the last, you know, even in the 10 years that I've been in this field, it has been interesting to watch how public awareness has started to shift and how people are starting to become more interested and more proactive about the types of things that they're exposing themselves to or the types of food that they're putting in their body. So I'm confident that eventually we're going to see more of a trend in this direction. And you're right, it is partially the responsibility of the consumer. Like we live in a capitalistic society, right? So like public demand creates, uh, you know, the production of, you know, A versus B. So Absolutely. I think the more we more demand these things and the more educated we are as a consumer population, the more we're going to see things trend in the correct direction, in my opinion. Oh, I hope so. I mean, you know, BlackBerry went away because nobody wanted to use it, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. I, Kodak, Kodak disappeared because nobody wanted to use film anymore. Yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, I think if we're, if we start to say, wait, this isn't, this isn't, helping us this isn't serving us in the way that we want the company's either going to change to serve better or they'll disappear yeah and so i i just like to see these so-called food engineers like actually work with real food yeah that would be it that would be quite the novel concept wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so what's what's been the most effective for building your audience uh, honestly, for me, it's been word of mouth. So um, I get the majority of my referrals through uh, past and current clients. Um, I am a part of BNI, which is uh, one of the larger paid networking groups. That's been uh, a real blessing for my business. I've been able to generate a lot more word of mouth since I joined that group. But that's really been my most effective marketing strategy so far. I'm sure there are other ways that I could optimize um, 
taking up a little bit more space in the online sphere. But uh, I've been very, been very lucky in that way that I've, I've had some very, uh, very great clients and people who are willing to uh, sort of do the marketing for me. So vast majority has been word of mouth, at least so far. And that's fantastic, right? There's nothing better than, than people singing your praises to, mm-hmm. to the world. And obviously, the more of those testimonials that you can share, the more you know you can attract clients in the in the unknown space, right? In the in the internet world. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting how it, it almost, you know, it really primes people to be ready. They're already, you know, ha- they're they're already halfway through the door when they get to me, like when they've spoken to somebody who has personal experience and had a positive experience and has positive feedback. Those are the people that, you know, the consults are easy, like they're already ready to jump on board versus like somebody who has found me through social media or through Google. Um, there tends to be a little bit more skepticism there because there's not that personal connection. So really word of mouth referrals um, have been the best for me. That's nice. So how valuable has connection been in your development as an entrepreneur? Oh, very valuable. Um, I mean, that's what I do for a living, right, is connect with clients. So part of the reason I think people see someone like myself is, you know, because they've gotten frustrated with the current healthcare model and they don't feel heard. They don't feel acknowledged. Oftentimes they felt very gaslighted, um, told things are all in their head. Their blood work is normal. There's nothing wrong with them. But these people are still very sick and they're very symptomatic. It's just nobody's taking the time to really listen and get to the root cause. So connection for me, like that's really my business, right? Is making the client feel heard and seen and acknowledged. And that is such valuable information for me as the practitioner, right? Because really listening, oftentimes clients will divulge information that they didn't think to put on their intake form that like they lived in a home with black mold for two years in college and like, oh yeah, actually that's kind of when all of my symptoms started. Because this stuff isn't discussed oftentimes in the mainstream medical model, it's not looked at, it's not evaluated for. These people have kind of flown under the radar because nobody's gotten the full story. So connection in my line of work is invaluable. And of course, you know, creating connection in the community, um, not just with my clients, but being able to connect with functional neurologists and acupuncturists and massage therapists and people who do um, energy work or healing work, also invaluable because then I have those people who do and provide services that I can't offer or not equipped to offer. I'm able to refer clients and really plug them in because oftentimes when you're working with chronic illness, right, it's not a, it's not a quick fix and it's not a one size fits all model. It's oftentimes a multifaceted approach. So developing those connections within the, within the community has also been very valuable because that enables me to provide those connections for my clients as well. That's fantastic. I like that you, you have, you know, power partners that are, are helping as well, right? Because obviously you can mutually refer clients, but for me, I I try to put groups of people together in in my coaching model that allows them to provide a group of services just naturally mm-hmm. developing clients, right? And and I know I can refer this person similar to the BNI model. You know, I I know you know, hey, this person's been in my group for months and years, and I know I can trust them. But with power partners, it's even more intimate, right? Like together we're going to serve this client to the best of our ability so i can send you know send a person to the massage therapist and know that they're going to be treating them in the same 
framework that that you're treating them right and and so i just love that kind of networking and and you know power partner or whatever way you want to refer to it it's just it really is so powerful in in client service not just in building your business but in in really providing a full service to your clients Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Because I mean, you know, I know a lot, but I certainly don't know it all. And if somebody's got a structural issue, like, sure, I can, I can support the inflammatory response and maybe get them a little bit of relief via like nutrition and supplementation. But I'm not going to fix that structural issue. So that's where, you know, again, that's invaluable for me to be able to have like a chiropractor, I trust a PT, I trust a massage therapist an acupuncturist, because that provides real value to my clients as well. And knowing that they're in good hands, that in my mind is more of a comprehensive, holistic level of care, right? Absolutely. And and everybody benefits, right? Yes. There's no there's no loser in that you know situation. Um, your clients getting all the pieces that they need to to bring them to health. Um, and then of course you're you're mutually serving each other's businesses. Uh, yes is exciting too so how did you develop your confidence as a as an entrepreneur oh gosh <laughs> a lot of trial and error <laughs> well one of the things that you know i'm very grateful for was my experience in that in that high volume clinical practice that i was at for three years before starting my business I had not worked in an environment like that before. I had worked for, you know, med spas and doctors and chiropractors, but I'd never seen that level or that volume of clientele and certainly certainly not that many people with very chronic issues. We saw primarily um, uh, TBI, so it's a functional neurology clinic. So a lot of people with multiple head injuries and then autoimmune conditions. So those were really the two like areas of focus in that practice. And again, these are populations that oftentimes have been symptomatic for a long time. They haven't experienced any sort of relief from drugs or surgery or what was offered by the mainstream medical model. So by the time they got to us, they had been dealing with these things for a long time. They'd usually seen a wide variety of practitioners. We were not usually the first stop and they were frustrated. They felt gaslighted. They didn't feel heard. They didn't feel seen. And so when you're working with that type of population, it's kind of sink or swim. <laughs> and like that being my first experience, like I had a lot of knowledge and I'd done all these certifications and I knew how to interpret the labs and the blood work and like bring things under a more functional scope. But that's totally different when you're actually applying it to a patient population, right? And working with people who have been dealing with these issues, pretty serious issues for a long time. So that was really, I think, what enabled me to quickly develop that level of confidence and, you know, the bedside manner and all of the things that are necessary to work with people who are dealing with chronic illness. And for that, very, very grateful. It was an extremely stressful environment with the level of level of patients that we saw on a daily basis. But I learned and I learned fast because I had to. That's that's that you mentioned a couple of things there that are, I think are really important. First, trial and error. Yeah. Um, is so powerful for an entrepreneur to be willing to just learn by trying. Um, yes. And and I, I think so many are just waiting for it to be perfect. They're just waiting to, uh, I'll launch this new program or I'll do this this thing or I'll start a business when, you know, when I've got it all figured out. Um, and the challenge is you don't figure it out without trying. <laughs> and and so trial and error is, is really kind of necessary. Um, the second thing Absolutely. you mentioned was, 
is gratitude, you know, grateful. So how is how else is in what other ways has gratitude been beneficial for you? Oh gosh, I'm like, in what way hasn't it been beneficial? <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a very firm believer in uh, the power of positivity and just you know everything. I think is really based on those energetic connections, and this is something I have I've witnessed myself over and over again in like the the short time that I've been running a business. You know, the second I become stagnant and I'm not practicing gratitude and like my energy is trending in a more negative direction my business screeches to a halt. Like all of a sudden I'm in that scarcity mindset and I'm in that negative space. And like, where are the clients? Why am I not getting the consults? Why am I not generating the revenue? The second I shift my mindset and start practicing gratitude and start recognizing, okay, maybe I'm not where I want to be yet, but that's why they call it a healthcare practice, right? Just like a meditation practice or um, a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice, right? It's a journey, not necessarily a destination. And the second I bring that gratitude back and that recognition of, okay, like maybe I'm not where I want to be, but I've come a long way. Even in the past year, the doors open up again and the clients start flowing and I start attracting the type of people that like need my help and the people that I want to work with and the people that I jive with. So it's just interesting to like recognize that over and over again and realize how much control I actually have over that piece. That's fantastic. Um, you mentioned practice of gratitude. Do you have a, a particular practice or ritual that you use? Um, it's something that I feel like I'm still constantly developing and working on. Um, for me, writing is very powerful. Um, I'm a very visual person and oftentimes writing helps me to process things. And this is something that I work with clients a lot on too. Like, you know, even as something as simple as a gratitude journal, can you start your day with just listing out whether it's five things or 10 things or 20 things? that you're grateful for and things that are going well in your life. Because I think, again, that helps to shift your mindset, like from the get go at the beginning of the day and raises your vibration and helps get you to that level of frequency. And it just really sets the stage for having like a more positive outlook. And it's something so simple. It's something you can do in five minutes. But that act of writing that down, the act of seeing yourself do something and complete that task, I think is very powerful for people. And it does really help to cement those positive beliefs in your mind. Absolutely. I think that's one of the quickest ways that you can change your vibrational energy and and yes. and, and jump to another level, right? Is, mm -hmm. is simply, you know, an act that act of recognition of you know gratitude for just even the simplest things can can really elevate. It's it's hard to be negative or you know, have a scarcity mindset if you're if you're being grateful. And that so that's a, a huge tool um, to help people. Absolutely. And I think it's important to, you know, when people are going through, you know, their healthcare journey, oftentimes things don't move as quickly as we would like them to move. Right. And it's easy to forget how much progress we've made when it's like, OK, I'm 50 percent better, but I'm not 100 percent. So we, we focus on the 50 percent that we haven't achieved versus the 50 percent that's gotten better, that we have achieved, that we have accomplished. And so that's a useful tool as well, you know, for, for myself with clients is urging them like, yeah, do this thing, like the gratitude journal, like check in with yourself, like what symptoms are improving, because then we can kind of track week to week and focus on that positive piece that, yeah, maybe you're not 100% there, but hey, 50% is a big improvement and we're going to continue to grow and continue to build on that foundation. Helping them see the cup half full. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And it can be challenging. I mean, and I get it too. It is, it's challenging when things are not moving as quickly as we would like them to move when it comes to healing, especially when people are really putting in the work. Well, and I think that's, that's the challenge of the, you know, take two aspirin and expect it to go away. So we, we expect all medicines to work that way, right? Take the medicine and everything goes away. Um, and that's not always the case. It takes, it takes time and it takes uh, the body. The body isn't, isn't as reactive as, as a microwave. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, unfortunately it's not. But, you know, as we touched on earlier, that's really what we're primed to expect, right? Is that immediate gratification, that quick fix, like take a pill, everything will get better. That's just, that's been the model. That's been the narrative for a long time. And that's what people have been primed to expect. Well, it's just getting worse right now. We're now we expect to get a whole a whole series of you know a television show all at once, so we can binge watch it. We don't want to wait week to week. We 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 expect to be able to go to the television at any hour and watch whatever show we want. Versus you know when I grew up, there were three channels, right? And you waited until six o'clock the next day to watch you know Mash again, right? Like <laughs> there wasn't oh, yeah. there wasn't this. Uh, this endless library of stuff you can watch instantly. And uh, I find it fascinating the number of people that really wait for a whole season to be there so they can binge watch the whole season rather than, you know, watching something week to week. Uh, it just creates that same, that same expectation of instant gratification. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing how pervasive it's become, right? It's not just when we're talking about food or, or healthcare or pain relief or whatever. It's really permeated every aspect of our culture. Yeah, you're right. Like Netflix is a great example there. Well, Amazon's the other one, right? Because anyone that's had Amazon Prime, you expect, you know, why can't anyone else ship in two days? Why is Amazon the only one that can get it to me in two days? <laughs> I don't know. So you order something, they say it's going to take a week. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's funny how we, yeah, we've really just been primed in that direction. And unfortunately, I think that convenience, it comes at a cost. And we're okay. really starting to see that that cost more and more and more in, in all aspects of life, especially when it comes to food. Absolutely. So I know you, you mentioned the niche that you started, you know, you were working with uh, traumatic brain injuries and some of those kinds of things. How did you choose your niche when you went off on your own? Hmm. I think it was more of a feeling than anything else. Um, when I left that practice, I wasn't sure that I wanted to continue working in the space that I was working in because the level of care and commitment that's required to work with that type of patient population it's a lot and it, it can wear on you and it's very demanding as a healthcare practitioner. And I had hit that level of burnout where I was sort of starting to question, like, do I want to work with TBIs? Do I want to work with chronic illness? Do I want to work with autoimmune disease? Like this stuff is hard. And I think what I realized is I took a step away from that for a while and kind of explored other areas of the field. Did I want to work for myself? Did I want to go back to working for another medical practice? And I just started to get this feeling more and more that, you know, whether I wanted to admit it or not, like this was the area that I needed to be. And I felt a sort of, I guess you could call it a sense of responsibility because of my background and because of the knowledge that I have. And people need to hear this stuff. And it's not talked about enough. 
And so what I had to do was kind of figure out, okay, how do I set my boundaries as a practitioner so I can provide these things without experiencing that level of burnout again? And so that's been kind of my journey and my process in building a business is how do I have those boundaries? How do I keep myself healthy so I can show up for my clients and continue to work with these more difficult cases and continue to provide, excuse me, that level of care, but in a way that is also healthy for myself as the practitioner. So that's, I think, a constant juggling act that a lot of us experience. Um, But it's important stuff. And I think it was that just that realization that I had kind of this calling and this responsibility and um, an experience being on the other side of things, you know, having those health issues and not finding solutions through the mainstream medical system. And I think that brings a certain level of empathy to working with clients and a certain level of connection. So I just had to figure out, you know, what's what's a way that will allow me to continue in this field that works for me. That's fantastic. I really like that you see it as a sense of responsibility. Um, I I believe that all of us as humans have been gifted with something that the world needs and and figuring yeah. out what that gifting is, whether through your education or through your experience, um, but then feeling the responsibility to to give that to the world. Um, is is very powerful. And so good for you that you 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 recognized your gift and you recognize that you've get, been given all of this um, education and, and experience for a reason. And, and so you have a responsibility to use it. Um, the second thing I appreciate is boundaries and and being able to to set boundaries. Um, few business people learn healthy boundaries um, for themselves, for their family. You know, um, we talk that there was a, a while that people talked about balance, right? Balancing your, your, your time with your family and your time at work. And, and I think balance is, is a misnomer. Um, I, I don't think it exists, right? Because the idea of balance, you, you think about a teeter totter and, and when you get the teeter totter balanced, you, you have to hold still, right? Everybody stop hold perfectly still because if you move a foot or you move something else the teeter-totter is going to switch um and so you can imagine your whole family right the kids everybody okay everything's in balance right now freeze nobody move it's perfect (laughs) right so i I like to think of harmony and and so you you use boundaries to try to maintain harmony and that matches you know the idea of protecting our energy protecting protecting our vibration Um, and and so you know figuring out what are those boundaries that I need to have with clients? What are those boundaries I need to have in the time I have available to, to serve clients and yet still provide, you know, protect that the times that are important to me, whether that's time with a spouse or, or with children or, or other family members, right? Whatever, whatever boundary that, that you're putting. So protecting your health obviously is important to all of those others, but, but recognizing the need for boundaries is, is a huge piece in that, in this journey as entrepreneurs and and being being willing to put them in there, um, especially early on, because in the beginning, it's like, I need clients. I need money. I got to pay the rent. (laughs) And we get desperate and we forget about our boundaries and and we take on clients that we knew we didn't want to. um, If, Mm -hmm. if we don't have boundaries that we stick to and honor for ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And 
again, it's kind of that whole concept of failing forward, right? You learn a lot of these things the hard way, at least I certainly did. And that is a, that's a very easy mindset to get trapped in as a, as a newer business owner is just, you know, any client that you can find that you can bring in, like there's just that whole scarcity mindset. Like there, there aren't going to be enough clients. I'm not going to attract enough clients. The clients are going to somehow disappear. And so it's just, you know, like anything else, it's that, that development and um, the experiences and oftentimes, you know, learning from those decisions that you made of like, oh, I knew that client was going to be a nightmare or that I just wasn't a good fit or they weren't a good fit. And so those boundaries, like they serve, us as practitioners and business owners, right? But they also serve the client because then we don't get to the point where we're spinning our wheels and the client's not feeling uh, not feeling that level of service. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing worse than than being uh, in the wrong headspace when you're when you're facing you know a client facing conversation and you're just like, Ugh. <laughs> right? I mean, you don't you don't want to be there because you want you want to honor your clients and and take the best care of them possible. And so, boundaries allow that to happen. And so, that's good that you you've learned that as quick as you have. <laughs> so, still learning, certainly, still a work in progress. I understand. All right, so just to switch that up on the side of boundaries. So, what do you love to do in your free time? Um, so we live in Colorado, so definitely I feel like, uh, outdoor activities are uh, one of the perks there and something that's important to me. Um, I, I enjoy skiing in the winter time. Um, just got the icon pass. So looking forward to using that this, this winter, um, hiking, I enjoy yoga, um, any any type of real physical activity or movement I think is very important. Um, I've noticed a huge difference too um, with my own mental health and incorporating physical movement. And obviously that's something I use a lot with clients as well is, you know, developing kind of a structured movement routine. Um, so I would say those are kind of my biggest hobbies. Um, I enjoy writing. Uh, that's something that I'd like to incorporate at some point is more online programs, you know, more um, eBooks, things of that nature. Um, I really enjoy that research and, turning that around and kind of putting a personal spin on it and being able to disseminate that information in a meaningful way. And then I've got two dogs. So being able to spend time with them and, you know, getting them outside into the dog park, um, that's a huge joy for me as well. Absolutely. So what have mentors meant on your journey? Oh my goodness. Um, Again, invaluable, right? Like as a younger practitioner, especially, I think that's a lot of what helped me to develop that level of confidence and that ability to connect with clients as I worked for some very, some very amazing practitioners that I felt were pushing the boundaries and kind of operating outside of that mainstream medical space and kind of questioning that mainstream narrative. You know, why is this patient not getting better? What are we missing? What else do we need to look at? And um, I've worked for traditional doctors. I've worked for chiropractors. As I mentioned, I worked, I worked for functional neurologists for three years. Um, I've worked with nurses, nurse practitioners. So everybody brings a different skill and a different way of looking at things. And so for me, being able to learn from all of these different areas and to recognize like, Hey, it's not that like mainstream medicine is bad or drugs are bad or surgery is bad. Just like, you know, I don't believe that like 
herbs are ineffective or supplements can't be used to heal the body, it allowed me to develop a much more, I guess, inclusive mindset. And, you know, just to hope that eventually we will get to a space in medicine and in healthcare that is very inclusive and recognizes, yeah, in acute instances, surgery is probably the best option for that broken bone. Like we can use uh, antibiotics and drugs and prescriptions to heal the body. But we also have to look at these other things with chronic issues. You know, what types of foods are we putting in the body? What are your building blocks? Do you have like the correct nutrients to like regenerate cells and to make hormones and all of these other areas? So my hope is that it will become not an either or, but like a yes and. Oh, nice. Incorporate all of these different areas. I think that's really where things will move eventually. At least that's my hope. Well, I think they'll they'll almost have to, right? Oh, the yeah. Insur the insurance companies at some point are going to realize there's more value in helping people be healthy than there is in treating illness, and 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 ultimately, you know, the system will get overwhelmed if 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 we continue to produce mm -hmm. illness at the level that we're, we're producing it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We're I think we're already seeing that just with the whole like the current paradigm with COVID nineteen. Um, and again, not not bashing on any one approach or any one part of um, this model. It's a novel situation. But I think there's just a real need for us to recognize like, okay, so why are all of these supposedly healthy people succumbing to a virus? What's going on internally? Like, do they have other underlying conditions? What's their diet like? What are their vitamin D levels like? There are just all these different components that I think we need to start acknowledging and we need to start integrating so this doesn't continue. And this doesn't happen again because we see right. these cycles with viruses and with disease and with these things that we're exposed to. And I think the failure to recognize the importance of the internal environment and the bodily terrain, um, that's really part of, I think, what's gotten us into this situation. And my hope, again, is that we're going to start to look at the big picture and not just kind of cherry pick certain aspects, but also look at, okay, like, what, it, what is going on with our body's ability to fight something like this, whether it's a virus or a bacterial um, infection, or you know, why are we seeing a, a chronic rise in autoimmune conditions where people's immune systems are actually turning on themselves and starting to attack you know, bodily tissues like it would an invader, like a virus or bacteria. There are just so many different things that I think we need to look at and integrate. And a lot of this really starts with food, like you said, with the building blocks, like what are you putting into your body to make tissue, to make cells? Like, do you have solid building blocks or do you have things that are going to create dysfunction and ultimately disease? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think, like you said, I hope that, that it's heading in that direction and, and we'll start to see more, more integration, um, recognizing that the more we help people stay healthy, you know, the, the longer our systems can, you know, can sustain. But then, like you said, and recognizing now something that's attacking healthy people in the same way it's attacking some sick people and then other people it's not touching at all. You're like, you know, why, why, why? Let's, let's find out, you know, what is it that, that that's hap really happening? Um, and of course, this one's, this one's been magnified just because of its duration and its politic politicization, politicalization. You know, yes. Um, and, and of course, just just making the misinformation is, you know, is so rampant that that, you know, people are, are taking their advice from from 
you know, the Facebook experts rather than, you know, medical experts <laughs> because they don't trust anybody. Yep. Totally agree. And, uh, I think it's uh, it's difficult for people to go against that common narrative, um, kind of on, the, on the, other, uh, the other side of the coin here, um, without being referred to as like quacks or anti-science. So I think, again, this just it's an opportunity for us to have more conversations and to apply a little bit more critical thinking. Um, I think a lot of this stuff does need to be evaluated and does need to be discussed. And there's no 100% right way of um, treating something like a virus or approaching it. It's just so multifaceted. So again, like, I'm hoping that maybe some of this, the craziness of the past year and a half will spark more conversations. That would be fantastic, right? And, and more opportunities to learn. Yes, precisely. It's always a process. Like, you know, in in medicine, we're constantly learning and we're constantly growing and opinions are constantly changing. And to have the mindset or the approach of, hey, I know everything there is to know on this subject, like that's just ego talking, right? And that's really not doing anything to serve the healthcare community or serve the, the patients or clients. Yeah. But the challenge is you make somebody go to school for 20 years and spend as much time as they spend becoming the so-called expert. Um, their ego kind of goes along with that <laughs> in oh, a lot absolutely. of cases. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. And I think we can get trapped. And, you know, I that was something that I recognized. One of the reasons that I was like, wow, I need to get out of like something that's this high volume is because you're almost forced to become very textbook and very formulaic when you're seeing that volume of people, which most doctors do, right? How much time do they spend with the patient? 10 minutes, maybe 15 max, sometimes not even that. And it's just this revolving door and you don't have the time to listen to the patient or to put all those pieces of the puzzle together. So we get trapped in that model of see this, do this. Like that's just the level of care because that's the, that's kind of what the system has allowed for. And right. well, that's all the system can bear at this exactly. point. Exactly. Because exactly. so many people are being seen by so few doctors mm -hmm. um, and economically they've created this model now where, where the doctor to sustain himself has to see, you know, a certain quota of patients in a day, whether, you know, whether it's five minutes a shot mm -hmm. and, and, and of course, even if the nurse asks all the right questions, does the doctor even have time to read all the right answers, right? Oh, absolutely. So the system really, it's not serving uh, the practitioners and it's not serving the patients. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's heartbreaking to, to see um, the way that it's that it's developed and, and continues to to move in a seemingly wrong direction. Yep. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. Yeah, I'm a big so spent many years in the church and, and leadership in the church and 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 feel like um, the big transition in, in healthcare happened when the churches let go of it and you know, so many of the hospital systems were started by churches and started you know mm -hmm. as as a charity as a nonprofit and of course now they're businesses and they're run like businesses rather than uh, run like places to care for people and put people first. Um, it's very hard to put people first when the dollar is more important than the people. Uh, and that's what happens when you have stockholders and and others, you know, responsible. So, and, and obviously you understand all of that. And um, But the economic model doesn't benefit the system either. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a lot of what I think swayed my decision to go into the type of healthcare that I'm in now is, you know, I, I did my undergrad in psychology, I thought I wanted to be a therapist, and um, very quickly realized after working in the mental health field for a period of time that I was not cut out for that. And um, so started looking at do I want to go to nursing school? Do I want to be an occupational therapist, a PT, like evaluated all these different areas. And Really, it was, again, like kind of personal experience with um, the power of nutrition, seeing the change in myself, and then just finding what, like, hey, I'm way more interested in researching this stuff than I was anything related to like nursing or PT or OT. And I also realized I didn't want to be trapped in that model of having to see like all of the patients and having to adhere to like uh, federal regulations and what I'm allowed to say or not say. And I had no interest in working for a hospital or like in that environment where things are very structured and like very black and white. So that's really, I think, what pushed me towards like, okay, I'm going to go more the nutrition route. And then, you know, went through that degree and then started realizing like, okay, I feel like I'm missing some things. I do want to incorporate the clinical side of like labs and blood work, but under, again, more of like that that functional model and providing more of like a holistic level of care versus just that quick, like revolving door. That's a terrific model. And I hope that more and more people will uh, step into that type of, of role and, and then the system will, you know, start to recognize it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's really valuable. So what's Miranda's big dream? Um, ultimately, um, I would like to step into more of an education role. So obviously I do a lot of that one-to-one -one education with clients and I love working with clients. I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, but I think, you know, where I kind of see myself going in the next five years or so is probably transitioning out of seeing so many one-to-one -one clients and focusing more on, you know, public speaking and developing online programs and writing because, you kind of get you kind of get stuck in certain aspects in the one to one client model where you can't reach as many people as you'd like to reach. And, you know, there's a cost associated like I'm not covered by insurance as a functional nutritionist in Colorado. Everything I do is out of pocket. Like I can't bill my labs or blood work or whatever to their insurance company. So it is cost prohibitive. And I think there's so much value to so much of this information and even something as basic as like, how do we determine like, is this food or not food? <laughs> how do I read an ingredients list? Like, what are the things I need to stay away from? Like, there's so much foundational work that I cover with my one-to-one -one clients that I feel like could be disseminated on a much larger scale. So ultimately, that's where I'd like to move is being able to reach more people, being able to provide that level of service in a more accessible way. Um, and also just being able to kind of step more into that general like research and education mode, because that's really, I think, the, the piece of my line of work that I love the most. Well, that's fantastic. And there's definitely so many avenues to, to make that happen. Yes. Um, I, I wonder, like now more and more, we all have access to our medical record and, and, and helping people get your doctor to take these labs and then... <laughs> And then bring them to you, right? So oh, yeah, we do that sometimes, too. I'm like, okay, how can we find a way around this? <laughs> Get your doctor to be cooperative. Tell him you need this lab. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's part of the process is teaching people how to advocate for themselves. Because there are certain things that I, I can't run or that, 
you know, I'm not certified to interpret, nor would I try to because it's not my area of expertise. So sometimes it is like teaching the, the client how to advocate for themselves and letting them know, hey, like, if you go in with this information and you ask and you may have to be a little bit pushy about it, but oftentimes, you know, they will eventually agree to run it, your insurance may cover it, there are always ways that we can kind of find like these little loopholes and try to work with the client with their insurance company. So not, you know, not every single thing needs to be out of pocket as much as possible. Right. Well, and, and like you said, just, just got to do do all that you can to, to serve them and help them serve themselves, which I think is, is the bottom line, right? Take responsibility for your health. And I'm going to be a piece that helps you. But ultimately, it's still on you to take responsibility for everything you're doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I try to posture this to, to clients, um, like I am their I'm their partner in health, right? I'm their partner in this journey. So I can't be doing more work than they're willing to put in like, I can't want it more for them than they do for themselves. And, oh. You know, a lot of people, I think, again, like we've been primed with the current medical model to just kind of go along with recommendations. And well, the doctor said to do this. So this is what I'm going to do. And he said to take this pill. And like, we don't question it. We don't advocate for ourselves. We don't apply critical thinking when it comes to our own bodies or our own health. And I think that's very damaging. And it's very disempowering for people. So that's a big part of you know, the way I try to operate with my clients is, hey, like, this is a partnership, like, you're going to have to put in the work, I can be your facilitator, I can be your guide, but you have to want this, and you have to be willing to work for it. And I want to teach you how to advocate for yourself and how to make good choices moving forward, because you're not always going to have me. Absolutely. I, I think one of the most powerful things in mindset and understanding the brain is recognizing that if somebody comes in in a white coat and tells you that you're sick, your brain receives that as an expert has just told me that I'm sick and your brain says, Oh, you're sick. Right. Mm -hmm. How, how powerful is that if we turn it around and the person in the white coat comes in and says, you have this issue, but you can be healthy. Yes. Right. And, Absolutely. and we don't do that. And my, yeah, the doctor gave my dad a shot just a while back and, and, and he called me. He said, yeah, doctor said I'm going to be feeling it for a couple of days. I said, no, you're not. You're not going to feel it. Don't let the doctor tell you what you're going to feel. The doctor has no idea how your body's going to react to that. Yes, yeah, some people have had this afterwards, but that doesn't mean you have to. And don't let that expert in that stupid white coat manipulate you into feeling sick. <laughs> oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's so funny. I feel like I spent so many years um, trying to differentiate myself from some of like the more woo woo like aspects of like <laughs> holistic healthcare. I was like, I want to be clinical and like, yes, I believe in herbs and nutrition and all these things, but I'm going to go by like what the science says and the studies. And I was very resistant to bringing in like any sort of meditation or like the power of positive thinking. And really like one of the things that turned it around for me was listening to a lot of Joe Dispenza's work and the way he, it's just so simple where he's like, no, your thoughts are these, they're basically your thoughts and emotions are chemical reactions, right? Like they create chemical changes in the body. They produce these different hormones and these neurotransmitters and all these other things that cause a physiological change or shift. And hearing it, like it was so simple, right? The way he breaks it down. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes so much sense as to why like people do get stuck and they become like their diagnoses or their pathology, it almost becomes like part of their personality, right? Like that's who they are. 
like they are they are their autoimmune disease or you know they are their um you know whatever x y and z health problem you want to throw into that it becomes part of their identity right and i think it's so powerful you know to your point to be able to shift out of that line of thinking and like okay may i may have this issue and i may be experiencing this and i may be working through this right now but it's not who i am it's not part of my identity and that's such a power powerful shift for people and i think such an important part of healing absolutely well it's just helping them recognize the body wants to heal you the brain wants to heal you so why not let it right why not empower it to do what it wants to do and believe believe that it's capable of doing that and and the body the brain stumps medical science on a regular basis. Still to this day, as much medical technology and research has, has been done, the body still stumps them on occasion. And and why not, right? <laughs> and so why not empower people to heal themselves if if the body's capable of doing that, rather than you know condemn them to death? Oh, you've got this disease. You've got six months to live. Like okay great like why no <laughs> yeah you have these symptoms you have these issues but your body can can take it away if if you believe it and you let your brain do the things that the brain can do because it's an incredible little machine that that we don't even understand yet so <laughs> we're barely scratching the surface here right like absolutely and 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 i i like i i agree with you like i came into into coaching and personal development without without wanting the woo woo and the stage show and the, mm -hmm. um, and yet the brain that, you know, the power of positive thinking is not just woo woo. It, it works. <laughs> it is real. And, and, and if you really figure out that, you know, let go of the outcome, right? Let go of this, this destination that you think you can arrive at and just be like, Oh, everything's good. Recognize the journey and, mm -hmm. and embrace the, the power that you have on the journey. Yeah, we can do so much good for ourselves. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, again, it's my hope is that like the whole model is going to start to shift, right? Because now it's not convenient to uh, enable patients to critically think and to um, have a, a sense of power over their own outcome, um, because that takes time. It takes time to answer their questions. And, you know, it's it's viewed as like a pain or, you know, that's a difficult patient. And unfortunately, yeah, it has discouraged people from being like their own advocate and being actively involved in their outcome and their health care and like just all of these processes. And again, my hope is like to see that start to shift because it's important. People do need to be involved in like their own outcomes and they do need to feel like they can take control over their health. And unfortunately, like right now, that's just viewed as an inconvenience because it doesn't fit within the current constraints of the mainstream medical model. Well, I think more and more doctors are willing to answer questions. And yes. um, and I think the model shifted a little over the last year just because they weren't able to see patients on a regular basis. And so they had to do a lot of telemedicine and some other things, which really boiled down to answering questions and, and you know, describing symptoms and um, trying to treat people in a different way. And so I hope that that's, that's going to continue leading to a shift. Um, but obviously the shift you're looking for isn't just in healthcare, it's the whole food industry as well. And so, you know, pushing against a couple of multi-billion dollar, you know, industries there, but I love your, I love your mindset. I love your, um, 
I love your model, like what you're what you're providing for people, and and of course I love how you've built your business and hope that it will continue to grow. So what uh, if you're just going to tell you know some entrepreneur not necessarily in the same field as you, um, your words of wisdom? What would Miranda's words of wisdom be? Oh gosh, um, I would say definitely walk before you run. I think one of my biggest hurdles in the beginning stages of starting a business was like, I was already on step 10. Like I hadn't completed step one, two or three yet, but like I was ready. Like, <laughs> so I think just, you know, putting a lot of those processes in place and I would encourage anyone who's starting a business, like hire a business coach or somebody to help you strategize. Like I didn't do that for like, you know, two years. <laughs> and finally it was like, okay, I have some strategies that like I need help putting into place. And I have some processes that are very ineffective and are holding me back and taking a lot of time. So, you know, if you can, if you can swing that, if you've got somebody that you trust, like I would highly encourage anybody, like hire somebody to help you with those things, like help you strategize, help you put those steps into place. That way you're not going back after a period of time and trying to fix the things that like you didn't address in the beginning. Nice, that is fantastic advice. Miranda, thank you so much for joining me today. This has just been a fantastic conversation. Well, if you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com. We've created a collection of the top tips that have been shared on our show for entrepreneurs. Do you struggle with procrastination, putting off the work until the last minute? Well, you are not alone. Many of our clients start there. We are launching a new five-day challenge to help you take more action and make more money in your business. Each day is a 10-minute video lesson and a worksheet. If you take 15 to 30 minutes to do the worksheet, it will change your life and business and exponentially increase the amount of work you get done each day. Right now, it is only $27 and contains five of our best tools for helping you move forward. It can be found at addvalue2life.com action. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.